Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 will be in verses 18 to 25. Romans 8, 18 to 25. Paul the Apostle writes to the Romans, and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. If we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Let's pray. Lord, help us to eagerly wait for you, your promises to be fulfilled with perseverance. Help us to trust in you in the dark times. Help us to wait on you. And as Lucas was sharing, Lord, that we recognize our thirst ultimately won't ever really be satisfied until we are in your presence fully. So tonight we just pray that you bless our time. Help us, Lord, to just know how to answer people who have really tough questions. Lead us into greater truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of those common objections that people have to believing in God is, how is it possible that an all-loving, all-powerful God allows so much suffering to happen in our world? How is it possible that any God, any God who claims to be loving and powerful, could allow people to be murdered, children, innocent children, to be tortured, Go hungry. I mean, just think about it. Put yourself in the place of God and just think about allowing what some of the evils that happen in our day is, right? We would say that if you saw a baby that's drowning in a pool and you have the power to stop it, that you probably should stop it. And it'd be weird to say that God does not have the power to stop things like that happen. Babies do drown in, in, in swimming pools. Children do starve in some countries. Some people are murdered and, and children are shot in the streets. Injustice does exist. And yet we say that we believe in God who's all loving and all powerful. How is this possible? We say that, and, and think about this. If we were to see one of those tragedies, you and I would do everything in our power to stop it. In fact, if you have the power to stop it and you don't do something, you should be held responsible. If you see on a hot day like today, there's a kid trapped in a car, windows up, and you walk by and say, oh, that seems really bad, but I'm not responsible. You would be held responsible. And yet, think about this. God sees everything. He sees every single tragedy that happens in all of the world. And we say that God does miraculously save some people, but it seems like there are a lot of people who are not miraculously saved. He could miraculously open up the car so the child can finally breathe some fresh air. He could stop the child from drowning. He could help innocent people. 
and yet he doesn't. And why is that? I probably sound a lot more like an atheist than a, a Christian tonight, right? But here are the questions that most people don't actually talk about in church, to be honest, right? Here are the things that people don't actually say and actually admit. Like, can we actually be human beings and say, this is a really tough question? And it's not enough to just say like what people usually say. Well, God works in mysterious ways. We can't understand the ways of God. I don't have to understand the ways of God to know that's messed up. Something is cruel about this. Something is wrong about this. And if we pretend that it's not a real problem, then how in the world are anyone, is anyone gonna wanna become a Christian and believe what we say we believe? If the loving God that we say we believe in doesn't seem to be loving at all. But what I'm really happy about is in the scripture, you see the same kind of realness in the Psalms. Psalm 73, verse three, David says, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. Isn't it true? Like people think that poverty breeds evil. But the most corrupt people on this planet, I don't think are poor people. I think it's the rich people. Some of the most powerful people on this planet are some of the most corrupt people. And God lets those people get away with it. So he says in verse 12 of Psalm 73, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I wash my hands in innocence. For all day long, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. So the psalmist is saying, like, I, I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> apparently. Like, if I'm evil, I make it in this world. If I backstab people, I'm successful. But if I honor God and I do the honest thing, somehow I'm punished. Why is that? Like today, I was driving with Andrew. Oh, I should make this admission over the microphone, right? I was like running late and I was coming back. Maybe you should edit this from the recording. And I dared go into the HOV lane, even though it's three plus, and it's just me and Andrew Ignara. And I'm like, I probably should stay in the normal lanes because I don't want to be a bad example to you. You look at me and you'll be like, well, if Alan can do that, then I could probably steal things and all kinds of evils because Alan's a pastor and he does things. He breaks the rules sometimes. So it's like, I'm going to abide by the rules, but I was running late. So I was like, God will forgive me. And I, I went into the HOV lane and I was praying, Lord, please don't let me get caught, please. So, I mean, God answered my prayer, I guess. I don't know. And I'm thinking like, it's just sometimes it's easier to do the wrong thing, right? Don't do that. You'll probably get a ticket. I didn't get a ticket, but you might get a ticket. So, so like, what do we do? It seems like doing the wrong thing always there's a reward and doing the right thing hurts you. So Bertrand Russell is a famous atheist and he had a talk called Why I Am Not a Christian that he presented it. It's, you know, you can find it in written form now, the transcript. But in that, he talks about how people say, well, God is good and God is just and he's loving. And he said, well, looking around the universe, it doesn't seem that that's the case. He said, if I were to open a crate of oranges and the entire top half, as soon as they open it, they're all spoiled. My reason doesn't say, 
Well, probably to even out the bad oranges, underneath it is 50% good oranges. You would say the whole thing's bad and you throw it away. So he said, so that is what a, a scientific person would argue about the universe. He would say, here we find in this world a great deal of injustice. And so far as that goes, that is a reason for supposing that justice does not rule in the world. And therefore, so far as it goes, it affords a moral argument against deity and not in favor of one. So what he's saying is if you find injustice in this world, you don't, you don't then conclude, well, there must be a loving God to correct the injustice. You just say the whole thing's bad. But what I would say, and I will give you answers to these questions tonight, don't worry, is before we answer the question, we can't do what so many Christians do. They try to deal with emotional pain intellectually. They look at somebody hurting and they go, oh, let me try to rationalize. Let me tell you how God is working it all together for good. But like, you just got diagnosed with cancer. You don't necessarily wanna hear that God is good. You just lost a friend or a family member. You don't in that moment need to be rationalized back into the truth. We need people who are just gonna be present. People who are gonna embody Jesus Christ and be loving in those moments, even when they don't have the answers. Remember Job, when he's suffering, all, all the friends that were the worst are the people who tried rationalizing. Are you sure that you didn't do something to deserve this? I mean, like, this seems really messed up. Like, must be God cursing you. And the one who is the encouragement is the guy who tried to stay silent as long as possible. So there are two things we can deal with. First, there's the emotional question of evil and suffering. And then there's the intellectual question of evil and suffering. So we're gonna deal with the emotional question first, then we'll talk to the intellectual side. So the emotional question, when somebody asks the question, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? They might be speaking of a place of pain and hurt. And what I love is in John chapter 11, Jesus hears about his friend Lazarus. Mary says to him, your friend, the one that you love, Lazarus is sick. And then Jesus answers and says, oh, don't worry. He basically paraphrased. He's like, it's gonna be all right, right? And so he starts journeying, but he waits four days until he dies. And then both Mary and Martha say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive today. Oh man, Is it, isn't that a message in and of itself? God, if you had been here, he would still be alive today. If you had been here in my pain, I wouldn't have to go through what I went through today. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus shows up and the Bible says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus knew he was gonna heal Lazarus. Those of you that know the story, he did. He resurrected Lazarus from the dead. But even knowing he was gonna be healed one day did not change the fact that he was gonna weep with them now. Yes, we know God is working all things together for good. We know we're going to heaven. We know one day suffering will be put an end to. But that does not mean that we can't weep with people today. And that's what Christians need to be doing more. That's what I need to be doing more, is can we sit with people and feel that pain and emotion and the weight of what people are going through? And before we jump to the answers, we say, man, I can't understand what that's like. I can't imagine. And you know what? I'm here for you. No matter what you need, what time of day, I will be here for you. So Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
One of my favorite books is by a philosopher named Nicholas Wolterstorff. And he wrote a, a book called Lament for a Son. And he's a philosopher and a lot of philosophers, if you read their books, can be really, really confusing. Their sentences are hard to make out and it's hard to understand what they're saying. But this book is just talking about how he lost his son in a mountain hiking accident. His son passed away. And the entire book is him just mourning the loss of his son. And it's just filled with emotion. And this deep intellectual thinker is just expressing his emotion, the pain and anguish of losing someone that you love. And I recommend that to anybody who's lost anybody before because it's a powerful, powerful book where it just identifies with that pain. So when you encounter this objection, here's, if you, if you miss anything from tonight, don't miss this, look up here. When you encounter this question, why does God allow so much evil and suffering? Can we be willing to at least, before we jump to the answers, ask them a question. Hey, before I answer this question, can I ask, is there, is there a reason why you're curious about this? Is there something more to this question? Is there something behind this question? Allow people space to vent, to say, yeah, the reason why I wanna know is because last year my baby brother drowned in whatever. Yeah, I, I wanna answer this because I saw this on the news yesterday and it's just, allow people to talk before you jump to the, the answer of the question that they're not really asking in any way. That's why Colossians chapter four, verse six says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You know, as an illustration, if somebody's starving, you can just cook a steak with no seasoning and feed it to them and they're gonna be fed, they'll be nourished. But if you can put some seasoning on it, if you can base it in butter, like, wouldn't you wanna do that? If we can present the gospel in a way that's sensitive and seasoned with grace, why don't we do that? Why don't we take intention and prayerful consideration before we just start spouting out answers that we memorized in Bible school 10 years ago? Really taking the time to be empathetic and present the gospel in the way that people will be able to hear it. So that's the emotional question. The emotional question can't really be answered. It can only be felt. It's an experience that you have to share with somebody else. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. I'm not telling you to do anything Jesus didn't do already. He wept for Lazarus. And in fact, he looked at our suffering and he became a man. He entered into a world. He was tempted in all points and yet did not sin. So let's go to the intellectual question. And this is what Alvin Plantica, who's a, another kind of notable philosopher, he wrote a book called God, Freedom, and Evil. It's a classic text on what is called a theodicy, which is a defense of the faith when it comes to the problem of evil and suffering. And Alvin Plantica talks about this idea called the double warrant, which means that um, you can believe in God based on just pure experience and feelings and maybe not have all the answers. And you can also believe in God intellectually, but you kind of want to go for both. Because there'll be days that you only believe in God and you're just, your heart's cold and like, I just need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. And there'll also be days that you feel like somebody just shut down 50 of your arguments. You're leaving defeated like, oh man, maybe I, didn't, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. 
but you have an undeniable experience that you encounter the living God. So double warrant. It's important to just not just have emotional reassurance, but intellectual reassurance. So the first thing I would do to address the intellectual question when people are ready, not when you think they're ready, but when they say they're ready to address this question, the first thing I would, I would kind of say back is, well, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? You say like, well, how can there be so much evil and suffering in the world if God really is good? Well, I would answer back and like, well, if God isn't real, then like, what other hope do you have? Like evil really isn't a thing if God isn't real. That just means that evil is just the state of the world. It's just the way it is. And you could try to make it better and worse based on your opinion, but who knows if you'll make it worse based on your own selfishness. If God is not good, here's the problem. Then the world is functioning just as it should. If you believe in the evolutionary process, you believe that all of it's random chaos, then that means that it just is. It, there is no ought. The world ought to be a certain way. It just is. You can't say it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just random order. And when people say, well, all things happen for a reason, like based on what? You don't know that. And in fact, isn't it true that like evolution means that things happen by accident? So it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any order to it. There's no assurance and hope that it gets better. The world could be going towards progress, but it could also get it, be getting worse. There's no guarantee that there's any hope in the end. Also without God, suffering has no meaning. Suffering has no meaning. That means every time that you suffer, there's no purpose to, to, to it. There's no God working all things together for good. It just is. In fact, it's worse. Evil doesn't actually exist. There's no good measurement that we even have to determine right and wrong. And that's a whole nother message for another time. But if you have questions about that, we can talk about it afterwards. But here's the thing. The Bible acknowledges suffering. Verse 18 of the chapter we read in Romans says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It does get better. And we have a hope and a guarantee. And his Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment of what is to come. John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you're guaranteed. You will have tribulation in this life, but Jesus has overcome it. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you wanna live for the Lord, there will be people that hate you. There will be people set out to destroy you. It's a guarantee, it's a promise. And the Bible says, beware when all speak well of you. When you're living for Christ, there will always be an enemy trying to hold you back. But the good news is we never, we never suffer alone, right? Christ suffered. Isaiah chapter 53, verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our pieces was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. You know what's worse than suffering? Suffering for other people's wrongs, right? 
It's one thing if you're suffering and you made a mistake, like you're driving your car and you didn't get your old change and now you're ended shot because you weren't really taking care of your car and now you're suffering. But it's kind of self-caused. You knew it was gonna happen. Maybe some of you suffer with addictions and you're caught or you find yourself in a dark place or you're poor and you, you know it's kind of self-caused. But what about suffering unjustly? Suffering for other people's wrongs. All of us have seen some of those tragic cases of people on death row for crimes they didn't even commit. And Jesus Christ went all the way to death for the crimes that he did not commit. Except Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on purpose, right? Why? Because, get this, don't miss this. Jesus was wounded greatly so that all your wounds would be temporary. The guarantee for the Christian is that the worst pain that you will ever suffer in this life is only temporary. There is a limit to your pain, a limit to your suffering. And the Bible says that every tear one day will be wiped away. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. The former things have passed away. That you're guaranteed that this life will get better. There's a great, there's a campaign um, done a number of years ago. I don't know how many of you remember it. I thought the marketing was genius, but it was talking about people who come out as homosexual, that there's this campaign of it gets better, that if you come out, things will get better. Now they say it for a reason that who knows if it actually gets better, right? If you don't have a belief in God, like it's just encouraging, but based on what? But for the Christian, we know it always does absolutely get better. The more that we follow Jesus, it does not get easier, but it sure gets better. We have that guarantee. The world, all they have is words. All they have is sayings. And the worst thing is you're promised something and it doesn't actually happen. When you're told it's gonna get better, don't worry, everything happens for a reason. But it seems like every which way that you turn, you've never found satisfaction. And you wonder if anybody does or if everybody's faking it. People say things like, just follow your truth. Do whatever feels right. And you assume if everybody feels this way, then everyone must really be depressed and hoping eventually things get better. But Christians know that you can have the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that only he can fill. And when he does, there is a peace that surpasses understanding. I was talking to a friend yesterday who goes through anxiety issues as, as many, many of us have, I have. You know, and I can do different kinds of therapy, self-therapy, but there is something fundamentally different when you have Jesus Christ in your life. I can't explain that to somebody else. I can tell you about it, but you have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you're here today and you've been faking it, you've been saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you haven't experienced true joy, that opportunity is for you tonight. You can pray, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And he will always answer yes. Now, do you ever wonder why Jesus suffered the way that he did? Why was Jesus tortured? Why wasn't he just killed? Well, the answer is the religious leaders wanted to see him not just dead, they wanted to see him shamed. They wanted to embarrass Jesus. You know, our, our crucifixes are kind of like, you know, censored. Jesus was naked on the cross. 
He was murdered and fully humiliated. That's why they had a crown of thorns, mocking him, saying, you're the king of the Jews. Here's your crown. Put him up on a cross, and they even put the, the, the nameplate above him that he's the king of the Jews. The whole thing was a mockery, shaming the son of God. And do you know, at the same time, our sin does the same thing to God? We're always looking to raise ourselves up, saying, God, I'm going to live my life the way that I believe it should be lived. And I don't care what you have to say. I don't care that you have a plan for my life and you have intentions for my life and commands for me to follow. I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to be the ruler of my kingdom. And that too is trampling on the son of God, saying that his free gift wasn't really worth it. Saying that his life lived for you and given for you is still not enough for you to say, I want to live my life for you. So let's now talk about some objections. Objections. Sam Harris, famous atheist, uh, one of the four horsemen of the new atheism, which is a really popular um, group of people probably about 10 years ago. And since then, Sam Harris has been a, a popular blogger. But he wrote a book called A Letter to a Christian Nation. It was shortly after 9-11. And uh, he was talking about how religion itself is destructive. So here's what he says. Sam Harris says, if God exists, either he can do nothing to stop the most egregious calamities or he does not care to. So is that true? That he can do nothing or he doesn't care about doing anything? Well, I think we can talk about like, is there a purpose to suffering? Is there a reason why an all-loving, all-powerful God allows suffering to happen? Well, the first reason I can think of is that suffering itself directs our attention towards heaven. It shows us that this world is not all that it's meant to be. That's why verse 19 of the chapter we read, Romans 8 says, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That creation itself is demonstrating that something is wrong with this world. If you have pain in your body, you know there's something wrong with your body, right? Like I had this weird pain in, in the ball of my foot, on my left foot. I know something's wrong because I have pain. If there's pain in this world, you know that there's something wrong with this world. C.S. Lewis once said in The Problem of Pain, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So some pain does have good purposes. If you have a toothache, you know, I got to go to the dentist. If you have sore muscles, you know that you've been working out and that's a good thing. So sometimes... Pain is not just all without any reason, but God uses pain to bring our attention towards him. Now, just because, now sometimes people think like, well, God, if he's loving, if he's all powerful and he allows suffering to happen, I don't know if I could believe in God like that. But you have to kind of show where the contradiction is. So we're just going purely intellectual for a second. So what would the contradiction be between pain, loving, and power? And I think the answer is just because you don't know doesn't mean that there isn't a good answer. 
Like there's all kinds of questions my kids have for me that I couldn't even explain to them because they wouldn't understand. That's the whole book of Job. Job says, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? And God never really answers this question. He just says, all right, let's take a tour of the universe. And shows him all these different animals and goes, do you know how I made that one? No? Okay, let's move on. Do you know how I did this? Okay, let's move on. Why do I have the thunders? Why do I? And he just kind of goes through all the things. And Job goes, I have no idea why you do all those things. Now, there's a thing called chaos theory. And the theory kind of goes like this. Like maybe a butterfly's fluttering of its wings in some other country, like in Africa, could actually start tsunamis in another country hundreds of years later. You don't know the small ramifications of some of the actions that happen in this world because God allows it. In fact, here's the other thing that's kind of strange to think about. Like, it's plausible. I'm not saying it, it happens, but it's plausible. If God were to prevent the worst kinds of evil, how would you know? Like, what if the world could be 100 times worse than it currently is, but God has been preventing those evils? You wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Now you can say, well, that's purely conjecture. Maybe it is, but it's possible. And if it's possible, that doesn't mean that it's not actual. So the fact of the matter is, we learn more through pain than through pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. So it could be that God's purpose is to make us into the kinds of people that he wants us to be. There is no courage without an opportunity for fear. Without, you know, working out and, and having that pain, your muscles never get stronger. Sometimes God uses suffering to bring out the character in his people. So then you ask, well, why does suffering exist at all? Why not just have a world of, of without suffering? And the fact of the matter is suffering exists because evil exists and evil exists because man has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Well, why did we sin? We sinned because God gave us a good gift called free will. And free will is the ability to choose otherwise. And all of us with our free will choice, we chose to do our own thing, to turn from God. And by doing that, sin entered the world. And some sin has instant ramifications. If you choose to harm your body through substances, that could take a toll. You could get some liver failure in the future if you abuse alcohol and things like that. So you can't always go like, well, God, why are you letting these things happen? Maybe some of the things are self-caused. Not all of it, but some of it is. Some of the dangers we have in our world today is caused by humans misusing the environment, you know, having wrong technologies. So those things could be man-made, but we see in the beginning that thorns and thistles came about because of the fall of man. So when God created the world, he created a good world, but it was not the best world. Why is that? God did not create the best world right away because the best world is not possible without having free will. And free will means that people have the ability to choose. So the best of all possible worlds is a world where people freely choose God and there's no sin. But God couldn't create a world like that. Think about it this way. To say, like, why, why did God create a world that had the potential for suffering misunderstands that if you have free will beings, they will always make mistakes. Otherwise, it's kind of saying like, well, I'm, God's going to create a world where people have free choice, but they always choose to do the right thing. That's a contradiction. That doesn't make any sense. 
So even though the world that God created in the beginning wasn't the best of all possible worlds, is the best road to be in the best possible world that will be in the world in heaven. So get this. When we go to heaven, I know we're kind of like going like this, but bear with me. You can listen to this message again on the podcast, gradientya.com. So um, get this. When we go to heaven, we will have the free will to sin taken away, right? But it's because of our free will choice to choose Jesus and to be freed of that sin nature. Very interesting. So God's genius. That's how he worked it out. So God's solution is in verse 22, Romans chapter eight. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who are the first fruits of spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. If we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So then people say, well, okay, I understand. God had to create a world where there's potential for suffering and evil. Um, but why doesn't God stop it now? So going back to the question, like there's a lot of evils that happen right now. Why doesn't God just put an end to all the evil? And the answer is, if God had to put an end to all the evil, he would have to put an end to you and to me right now. Because we're all perpetrators of this evil all perpetrators of suffering. And to deny that is just pride. It's, it's not acknowledging that we all cause harm to people through our lying, through our cheating, through drastic sins and the small sins. They all add up and compound to suffering in this world. So to, for God praying like, Lord, bring an end to evil and sin is to put an end to us. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's why God's long suffering. That's why God's waiting for people to come to faith in him so that he can return for his church and there can be a redemption of the whole world. So God will one day redeem all things, which is also, this is kind of like a theological side note, but you know, like God's not gonna like destroy earth and we're gonna move to heaven. Like heaven's coming here. We're gonna talk about that when we do our heaven and hell series in a couple weeks. But maybe you didn't know that, but we're actually like heaven will be here. God's renewing this world because he's not tossing it away. God doesn't toss anything away. Nothing is wasted. God renews all things, including this world. So then you're saying, okay, but why is there so much evil? I mean, it just seems so bad. I don't know. I just don't, I, I don't have the answer. But what I do know is that God is good. And if I were to judge God and say, well, I don't know if God is doing it the best way. God gave me my sense of justice. So if he really wanted it, wanted to, he could like not give me a sense of justice and I just believe that he's good all the time. But the very fact that I can critique God with a sense of justice shows me that he's good and he wants me to discover his goodness by seeking him more. Does that make sense? No, that's a little confusing. If God was truly evil, if I was evil, why would I give you, like, if you had the ability to erase all of your haters on Instagram, like, wouldn't you do it? Like, I'm gonna make them all love me. Like, I will I'll never have anybody critique me ever. All of us would do that. And yet God allows people to say like, why do you allow this? Why do the wicked prosper? And it's because as we seek him, we see his plans, his purposes, 
and his goodness, that his ways truly are best. But with God, here's what you need to know. And this is the ultimate comfort and kind of our conclusion for the message today. With God, suffering has a purpose and it has a limit. You and I may not know why in this life bad things happen to good people, but we know that we're all bad people deep down inside, right? None of us are deserving of God's grace. And yet he still chooses. As Romans 8.28, the same chapter, let's look at it together. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We don't know why God permits some evil, but we do have the guarantee that he's working it all together for good. That's all we need sometimes, right? Is knowing that when I suffer, I'm not suffering purposefully, purposelessly. If I know that my suffering today could lead to somebody's salvation tomorrow, it's all worth it. It all makes sense. And what I'm doing is I'm hoping in faith Hope that is seen is not hope, right? But if we hope for what we do not see, our only choice is to wait eagerly for the big reveal. When Jesus returns for his church and he goes, all right, now you can see why I did everything. And we go, oh, snap. I had no idea. Like, isn't that gonna be like the, biggest, uh, the biggest surprise ever? Like we're all together with, with Jesus and he kind of goes like, all right, let's go review our lives and see like, this is what I was doing behind the scenes. You had no idea. Oh, that makes sense. But that time may not come until we see Jesus face to face. So in conclusion tonight, as Norman Geiser would say, God's goal for your life is not your temporal happiness. It's your holiness. He wants to make you and me more like Jesus Christ. And to be holy, not to say that we shouldn't be happy, but when we're made holy, we have that fortitude inside that nothing can shake us. I mean, some of the most holy people in the Bible were also the most persecuted people in the Bible, right? Paul the apostle, right? Beaten, shipwrecked, all these different things happened to him. And yet he could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray.